0: This is Rabbi Hannah from Hill Khavara, and I hope you're doing well. These are pretty crazy times and obviously our Chavarad can't gather in person, but we can still stay connected. And so I want to welcome you all to the brand new first ever Hill Hil Cast. In every episode, I'm going to interview a member of the Chavarad, folks you may or may not know, and we'll discover some incredible stories. Today's interview is with longtime Chavarad member Amy Neville. She is mom to Cora, who's a junior in high school, and she works for the Department of Health and Human Services, so she is really busy these days, but she took some time to speak with me, so I dialed her up on Zoom. Hi. Hi. Amy, I am so happy that you have agreed to be the first ever guest on the Hill Chavarad
1: Well, thank you for inviting me.
0: Would you just tell listeners a little
1: bit about yourself? Who are you, Amy? (laughs) It's hard to answer that question. So (laughs) I, let's see, what do I tell people? I sort of sarcastically and ironically say (laughs) that I'm a bureaucrat. I'm a mother of a teenager. I'm a, um, what else am I doing? I I am the chief cook and bottle washer in my family um, because it's just the two of us. And uh, what else? And I am a um, amateur potter. I like to, it's it's my, I hesitate to say it's my pot, my hobby. I've been doing it for a long time though. And I really like to get my hands in clay because it's so different from my work life.
0: Tell us a little bit about your work life, which is in, in hyper gear right now, correct?
1: Yes. So I work for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I work for one of the assistant secretaries um, the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation. And it's helpful to think of it as kind of the policy shop for the department or other offices in the department. So for many years now, as the portfolio has grown in my office, I've been self-termed a, a Senior Policy Analyst for Public Health Preparedness Emergency Response and Recovery. So for example, you probably have heard of Dr. Robert Cadillac, who is the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. He's leading the response for HHS under the direction of the secretary. So I work with his office um, and other folks in uh, other offices like FDA, CDC, um, that are very much front and center of the response to COVID-19. When it was really just, um, you know, 100% response, we're trying to figure out what's going on. I didn't have that much of a role, but now as the activities of the response are getting integrated into everything that we do every day, it's becoming. I'm becoming more involved.
0: Okay, so given that you are mired in this crisis, you know, for hours and hours a day, every day, professionally, but just like in your personal opinion. Like what are the top things you think like you want your neighbors to know or be thinking about?
1: So it's interesting. I actually feel like that even though I'm mired in it and doing it every day, I feel like there's still so much I don't know. And when it comes to making a decision about how to act personally as opposed to how to act on the federal level, it's a really different kind of calculus for me. Yeah. So I was just talking to a friend the other day and saying I don't know whether I can go visit my sister in Bethesda and spend time with her family. I don't know if that's a good decision for us or whether we should just stay home. Um, I don't know if it's a good decision for Cora to meet up with one friend as long as she maintains social distance. There is a lot of good information out there. I think trust, finding um, a voice that you trust Listening to that voice and using that voice to make decisions is is probably the best that we can do. We have never faced anything like this. I've been with HHS for 28 years. This doesn't come close to anything I know about. Yeah. So who are the voices that you trust right
0: now and that you look to for guidance and wisdom and comfort or even humor?
1: (laughs) Who do I try? I haven't found much humor (laughs) um, so far, but maybe that's coming. Um, So I think it's really important that um, Dr. uh, Tony Fauci is really still out in front of of this. He has been around a long time, and he really does understand the science. He also is involved, I'm sure not today, but um, in past crises and um, public health emergencies, he's been involved in the front lines of patient care. And so I trust his judgment. I trust like Dr. Nancy Messonnier at CDC, um, Dr. Ann Shuchat at CDC. You know, these are people that I have worked with over time and who understand how to get jobs done as expeditiously as possible, but also with great integrity and fidelity.
0: Wow. Okay. So... Back to Cora, not just as a baby, but as a teenager. Like, what's life like being
1: stuck at home with uh, with a teenager? What are you doing to make it work? So we've done a couple things. Um, I had built an area, or had built an area, because I I don't do construction, in our basement for when, when she was younger that we called the fort. And it's basically an elevated platform. It has window openings in it. You take a little set of stairs to get into it. And I actually had imagined when we built it that um, she might move in there when she's a teenager because, you know, it's sort of like a loft. Mm-hmm. Um, I We had a flood in our basement um, several years ago, and I still haven't made the repairs. But we were talking about it the, yesterday. Was it only yesterday? <laughs> we were talking about it. And she's just, she's like, I got time. I've got energy. I'm going to clean it out and I'm going to use it. So... Mm-hmm she cleaned it all out. And um, I guess it was two days ago. She cleaned it all out. She moved the futon up in there. She's got pillows in there. She's got a computer. It's the farthest away in our house that she can probably get from me. It's her, her. It's her what did she call it? Her. Maybe she didn't say teen cave, but something like that. Um, oh, cool. Wow. So she has, she has a spot now. And um, I think that's good. I think the other thing I'm kind of reminded of when she was really small, and how important a schedule was. And I think actually trying to enforce a schedule of some sort will be good. You know, dinner around the same time, getting up at the same time, um, putting aside hours for schoolwork. I'll be working too. So at the same time that, you know, she she, wa- she walked off to school every morning before this all happened, and would say, oh, I don't want to go to school. You know, now she's like, I can't, why can't I be at school? I want to be at school. Oh gosh,
0: I'm sure that uh, many of the people who will be listening to this will be able to relate. Um, you're amazing, and not just because you built your daughter a fort slash loft in your basement, and because you have a really important and crazy job right now. Um, but also, I think the way your family came to be is super amazing, and I think listeners would love to
1: hear about it. Um, could you tell us about? how Gora came into your life? Sure. It's a really bittersweet story for me. Um, yeah. It started when my husband died. He and I were in, involved in trying to get pregnant after we got married. And um, we knew at the time that his, um, his fertility was compromised, as I like to say. And so we started down the path of doing IVF. And so at the time of his death, we had been unsuccessful um, after many te- attempts <laughs> I think we did three IVF cycles and we had two frozen embryo cycles. And I, the last one, I found out that you can actually get a little bit pregnant. A little and, bit pregnant? Well, the, the, the blood test showed that I was carrying a pregnancy somewhere in my body, um, wow. but not in the right place. They couldn't find it in my uterus. And so um, that was the most difficult thing we actually, of having to end that thing <laughs> that was happening to me, and at that, that was May of 2001, and we just said, we have to stop. Um, Chris is actually identif- or diagnosed with an arrhythmia then. He ended up getting treated for the arrhythmia, and there shouldn't have been any problem, but he then died very unexpectedly of a massive heart attack in October of 2001, and I just knew at that time yeah. that I would finish what we had started, and so um I got really lucky um that Cora was born in May of two
0: thousand
1: three mm. Thank God <laughs> so are there ways in which
0: you feel like the resilience and like just dealing with uncertainty and 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 like getting stuff done on your own that like you had to do as a young single mom like are there ways that that's prepared you for this moment today or do you feel like these are just totally two different completely different stretches of life and it's incomparable
1: um I think that if I have any resilience at all um it's It's because my life is built on trying to survive it. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a, that's a really hyperbolic way of saying it. But so ironically in my story, my own father died when I was three. Um, My mom was severely mentally ill for most of my life and alcoholic and um, surviving that made me, I think, really resilient in a way and and surviving my husband's death. I mean, there's almost nothing I can imagine that would be harder. So how, at what point in your and Cora's life did you find the Hilchavara? Uh, so um, my dad's family is Jewish. And although I didn't spend a ton of time with them growing up and I didn't have a lot of Jewish practice or Jewish ritual, it was something that really resonated. So when Cora, when I was pregnant with Cora, I had other friends that were pregnant and people started talking about the kind of rituals that they would be participating in in their Jewish life with their children. I'd struggled a long time to try to be formally part of a Jewish community and hadn't found a community that was welcoming. and And when I did, it was really hard to be in a Jewish community as a person by myself without a family support, because many many Jews talk about the um, importance of the rituals and the customs, you know, whether it's your grandma's kugel or whatever it is that is part of their identity. And I didn't have that growing up, but there are a couple key things that happened that have stuck with me. One is I was um, at my aunt's house, my father's sister, when a conservative rabbi who it was part of a synagogue, they sometimes participated with my uncle mostly. And he said, that my aunt was one of the most Jewish people he had ever known, that she was living a Jewish life in a sense. And I thought, I have never seen her go to a synagogue. I've never seen her light a Shabbat candle. I've never seen her do any of things of those things. And, but when, when he said that, I realized that there was more to Judaism than what I kind of thought about from the surface and that you could, you could be Jewish from the inside out on some really fundamental level that he recognized So when I was pregnant with Cora, I kind of had an idea for how to take care of her physically, how to support her emotionally. What was I going to do to support her spiritually? And so I talked to my aunt and I said, is there a way that I can, that she can participate in a naming ceremony in a Jewish community so that I can kind of put a stake in the ground, I used to say, you know, of where we're going to start our spiritual life together. So she, she, she went on a, she was on a mission. She called me up one day and she said, you know, I've been talking to people and uh, she said, the Orthodox Jews are not going to have anything to do with you. You aren't Jewish. You know, it's your father. So rule them out. And then she said, the conservative Jews um, would support you if you, if your mother was Jewish and you'd been raised Jewish. So that's not going to work for you. <laughs> she said, the Reform Jews don't care whether so much whether it's your mother or your father. They'd like to see that you had been a practicing Jew. She said, but the Reconstructionists, they, you might talk to them. And so at the same time, though, my uh, obstetrician was April Rubin. So she said, do you know about Hilhavarat? Do you know Sid Cohen? You know, reach out to him. And so I got in touch with him and he said, Oh, of course. We would love to have a baby naming. And so April Rubin hosted, um, the monthly Shabbat in her house in June of 2003. And we had a baby naming and, uh, Cora was welcome to the tribe. Amazing. Wow. Uh, Cora, do you have anything to add? Uh, she's in the kitchen. She's not listening. Cool. Okay. Uh Um, Oh, she said that still makes her a valuable member of this community. <laughs> Laura is an incredibly valuable member of this
0: community. It um, is. All right. Thank you so much for doing this, Amy, for your stories and your thoughts. And uh, thanks for being the first ever guest on the Hilkha podcast. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. That was Hill member Amy Neville mom to Cora, and a senior analyst at the Department of Health and Human Services. And now I want to take us somewhere completely different. Uh, let's call up Nergu Smith. He's eight years old and he's a second grader at Yavna. And I'm gonna ask him what he's been up to now that he's stuck at home. So, hi Nergu. How's it going? Good. What have you been up to lately?
1: me, my friends.
0: You've been FaceTiming your friends. Cool. So what would you say is the coolest thing you were able to do over FaceTime with a friend? Play a game. How did you play a game over FaceTime?
1: So my friend Ethan, he was like moving the piece for me because we were doing FaceTime.
0: What game was it?
1: It was, I'm sorry.
0: That's awesome. Who won?
1: Oh, we, we were in the middle of the game. And then my mom's phone. Um said, poor connection. That's a
0: shame. What's the funniest thing you heard recently on FaceTime? Okay, knock, knock. Who's there? Little old lady. Little old lady who? <laughs> I yodel. Nice. Nergu, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. You're welcome. Have a great day. Uh, again, that was Nergu Smith. He's a second grader at Yavna, now Yavnet. And honestly I just want to thank all of you not just for listening to this brand new broadcast, but for everything that you've been doing lately to look out for each other and I hope you're all taking care of yourselves as well. I hope you're taking time to do things that make you feel nourished that make you feel normal that make you feel taken care of because you deserve it and you're doing an amazing job. We'll talk soon I don't understand Sachaya wem odam kuma se botecha magaduma sachaya